Today in the Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. If you want to get poor, don't give of yourself very much to anything or anybody. One of our most important principles in being poor is to be stingy. Be stingy towards God. Avoid all opportunities to sacrifice for God. When that opportunity comes in your heart, say no. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. If you want to be rich, then you've got to give it all away. Sounds backwards, right? The idea goes against conventional financial advice. But Jesus was anything but conventional. Today on The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt delivers a tongue-in-cheek message about worldly wealth and heavenly treasure. For more resources, visit thejourney.fm. We're in 2 Corinthians verse 9. And now here's Pastor Steve with part two of a message titled, How to Be Poor, Living an Impoverished Life. Today's message is how to get poor, how to live the impoverished life. Here's the first one that Paul brings up. If you want to be poor, sow sparingly. And whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you, if you want to get poor, don't give of yourself very much to anything or anybody. This principle we find in other places. Uh, for example, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul uses the analogy in a slightly different way. He says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Say those words with me. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now here we're talking about an ethical or a moral category where God says if you sow to the flesh, then you're going to get what the flesh gives. And that's bad. But you sow to the Spirit, you're going to get what the Spirit gives. And obviously that is good. That is desirable. The point, though, in the God is not mocked is, and, and Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, is that we, we cannot avoid this. God is basically saying this is a principle by which I operate, and I'm God and you're not, and I'm telling you the way that it's going to work. You, you sow generously, you will reap generously. You sow uh, stingily, and you will reap stinginess from God. He's very difficult to deceive. You can't... You can't as much as you want to think that he doesn't know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, he knows all of it. And he knows he's there ready to bless or not. And you can't hide anything from him. And I wish I could give you some advice. The only good thing I have to say is that since you can't deceive him, if you are stingy towards him, you can count on the fact that he'll be stingy towards you, which accomplishes the goal of the message. See? So, if you want to live the impoverished life, give stingily. Here's the second thing is to make sure that in your giving, make sure in your giving that you always give reluctantly and joylessly. God, Paul gives then two principles for how to, how to live a very impoverished life. The first one is, is that in your giving of yourself, whatever it is, to some good cause, to the church, the kingdom of God, make sure that you do it with great reluctance. And then you will have no joy in doing it. Because if you're, if you're reluctant to do it, you're not really happy about doing it. That's how those two things go together. It's very important. Give joylessly. 
A great example of reluctant giving is found in Acts chapter 5. You probably know the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira, and this is what's going on in, in Acts chapter 5. You have the early church, and there's all these great things that are going on in the early church, and people are all excited about the Lord, and from that spiritual joy, there is a great generosity that's flowing, and people are selling things, and they're meeting needs, and they're giving to the church, and they're dispersing to the widows, and there's just this really wonderful thing that's going on. Well, there was this guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and they apparently were well-to-do, and they had a field that they owned, and they sold the field And they had a little talk about it, and they said amongst themselves, you know, everybody else is kind of selling stuff and giving, but we don't want to give this all, so let's do this. Let's hold some of it back, but let's take it like it's everything. And so they go into the, uh, Ananias actually goes into the church, whatever, and, and there's the, the apostles, and he says, here is the money that I received from the sale of my field. And this is what happened. It says in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not also at your disposal? In other words, they didn't have to give it. It wasn't the fact that they held some back. What was it? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Yeah, I'll bet. (laughs) I'll bet. And I'll bet the next Sunday's offering was particularly good, don't you think? I mean, if we had a Sunday like that around here, can you imagine what would happen if the Holy Spirit was immediately judging hearts in giving? That's what happened. That's in the Bible, Acts chapter 5. They gave reluctantly. They didn't give wholeheartedly. They didn't give cheerfully, and they lied about it. And the punishment might seem a little harsh to us, but it proves the point that God is not mocked. Cannot mock God. So, as we think about giving and how to do this in Acts 5, I would strongly encourage you as you think about uh, the things that you have at your disposal to never consider giving extravagantly to God. Don't do it. And in order to keep that from happening, some passages of the Bible not to consider or ever to meditate on would include these. Israel's lavish giving for the tabernacle. Have you read that story? Never read it again. But if you've read the story, then you know how they were collecting up to, to, uh, uh, to build the tabernacle, and they had all kinds of needs, and the people were giving so generously that Moses had to say, okay, stop. Stop, please. I would love to have that pastoral moment one time in my life. All right? Just once, and then Jesus can take me. Stop. Okay? You're being too generous here. Or don't consider the woman who anointed Jesus with the expensive perfume. You know that story where she comes and it's, I mean, it's, it's hugely expensive perfume, more than like anything you could find anywhere around here. And the disciples are like, what a waste. Don't put that on Jesus. Come on. Should we use it for something else? And Jesus says, she's done a beautiful thing for me. It was an extravagant gift for Christ. 
Don't think about the widow and her two mites in the temple. Don't think about the early church and what was going on when the Holy Spirit was truly at work in people's hearts. Don't think about God's generosity to us, which this creates a real problem because this whole Bible is about God's incredible generosity to us. And so if you're going to avoid, uh, if you're going to keep from thinking good things about God's generosity, you really shouldn't spend much time in the Bible. Don't read the Bible. <laughs> and do not take that quote out of context. I would also encourage you not to think about Jesus. Because the Bible talks about Christ in this way, 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Think about what Christ has done for us, the riches that he had in eternity. How he left those and was impoverished for us, humiliated for us, suffered for us, bore our sins on the cross, and all the things that he has freely given us by his grace. If you think about that in, on any kind of level, what happens is it begins to create inside of you a desire to be generous back to him. I mean, after all, look at all that he has given to me. How can I, how can I be anything but generous back to him? Thinking about Christ on, on even the most shallow level will create a great desire to serve Him and to give to Him and to even, even to be lavish in my giving to Christ. And so that's why in this message I encourage you, don't think about that stuff. You don't want that. I'd also suggest to you that if you go to a Bible-preaching church, this creates particular difficulties in living the impoverished life. Because a Bible-believing and a Bible-preaching church is going to talk a lot about how great God is and how good He has been to us and the particulars of how He has lavished His goodness upon us. And there's going to be all these messages that are talking about uh, God's generosity. And so I would encourage you to work very hard to not listen. Don't listen to those kind of messages about giving with generosity. And some, here's some suggestions on how to avoid hearing what's being said. You know, like in our church, there are a lot of lights. I bet some of you could tell me the exact number of lights in the auditorium. There are ceiling tiles to be counted. Count them. Name them. Whatever it takes to keep from actually listening to a message about the generosity of God. I also uh, would uh, encourage you to think about other people who hear, need to hear those messages. Okay? Think about others that you wish were here to hear what's being talked about today. That's also very effective. Critique the pastor. That's, uh, that's a very effective way of, of eliminating what the message is trying to, trying to say. Because you know what happens when you actually listen to the Word of God and you actually think about what God has done in the Gospel? The Spirit works in your heart and softens your heart, softens it, and begins to change your desires in a way that things that you previously really treasured and held onto don't seem like they're that important anymore. In fact, if you let it go very far at all, you'll begin to think about the things that you have as not really being your things. And you'll begin thinking about them as actually being God's things that he's given to you to be a steward of. And you don't want that. So don't let that happen. Avoid it at all costs. 
or you might live an actually rich life. And this is a message on how to live an impoverished life. Are you with me? Good. Number three, don't value the blessings God promises to give. Minimize these things. And Paul goes on to list promises that God makes for those that give generously and those that give cheerfully. Number one, he promises to meet all of our needs. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, there is no fear that the Christian has to have in being generous to God. You cannot outgive him. He will always meet your needs. He will always give back to you more than you give to him. That's the promise. He'll meet our needs. There's no fear in being generous to God. Next thing is that he will increase the impact of our lives. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. If you give to God with generosity and with uh, cheerfulness, God will bear fruit from it. Fruit in your church, fruit in your community, and most importantly, fruit in your life. There is, there is blessings that God gives, and he promises that he will multiply the impact of this harvest of righteousness. And you'll have joy. You start having joy in partnering with God and seeing people reach for Christ. You start having joy in seeing missionaries that are out and being effective in various places and knowing that your support is helping that to, to happen. And you have joy in seeing your community being reached and needs, whether that be to the poor or the hungry or spiritual or otherwise, those things are being met. And as you give towards these things, you feel a kind of kindred spirit with them. And as that fruit is being born, you actually have joy in it, which is a blessing. But that blessing is a part of the rich life. And this is a message on living the impoverished life. So don't do that. Don't even think about that. Minimize that as something that would really be a blessing in your life. The third thing he says is that when we give generously, that God enriches our life's experience. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. There's the principle. Okay? We said it before, that when we give to God, God will give back to us. He gives back to us more than we gave. The seed is small, the harvest is big. We can't outgive God. You will be enriched in every way for, causal statement, for all your generosity. So God is promising here that He is going to enrich us. And, you know, that doesn't sound that good to me. That whole enriching thing. Enriching my life's experience. The way that God works in this is that when we give to Him, we not only have joy in giving, He also gives us the ability to enjoy what we have left more than the joy we would have if we had everything that we started with. In other words, if you just practice the basic tithe to God and give that gladly, you have more joy in 90% than you ever would have in the 100%. Which, that's not the American way, because that 10% is the key to happiness in life. 
is always having 10% more than you have, right? But in God's economy, when we give to Him, He gives us, he, he enlarges our capacity to enjoy the things that He has given to us so that it works this way as well. Since you can't outgive God, you have more joy in the 80 than you would have in the 90. And you have more joy in the 90 than you would have in the 100. And that's the promise of God. How many people are willing to take Him up on that? That's the way that it works. And in addition to that, God has a way of making the 90 go further than the 100 ever did. Have you noticed this? If you're a tither, if you're a giver to God, have you noticed what God mysteriously does? And I, I can't quantify this. I don't ask, you know. I can just tell you that this is the way that it works. When you give to God, things work out somehow, don't they? And the car, like, runs longer, or the clothes last longer, or the unexpected expenses aren't as much as they used to be, but when you live trying to keep all of it and sort of like hiding it from God, here's what happens. Now, you live with a kind of fear. You live, there's the money never quite, there's never quite enough money, and there's never, ends don't, aren't quite meeting like they should, and you live a life very much where money dominates your worries and your concerns and your, and your feelings. And that sounds like an impoverished life to me. 90 is better than 100. I talked with a family this week in our church, and they told me the story of how that is exactly them. That they, um, they were living, they were built, there was all kinds of stuff, and they were all fearful until the day they sat at the kitchen table, they both took the checkbook, they put it in the middle, and they prayed a prayer to God, and they said, God, from this day forward, this is yours. It is all yours. We're tired of playing this game. And their testimony to me this week in their home was that their family says that they live the charmed life. Like their family can't believe all the things that work out for them and the things that kind of, you know, the, the concerns that they have, they don't see them having. And they look at them with a kind of, they, they wish they could be them kind of thing. And I don't know how that works. I just, I just know that when, when God took Israel out of Egypt, there were no shoe stores along the way. And they walked for 40 years. God can make things work. God can make things last. That's the way that he does it. And he will if we give to him. The worst thing of all, though, in this, if you give generously to God, is that God gives you contentment. He gives you contentment. And this is not a part of the impoverished life. So this is to be avoided as well. You don't want, I think contentment's way overrated, don't you? I mean, to look at the things that you have and to actually have joy and satisfaction in them, to look at them and to be free from concern about what happens to them because it's not yours in the first place, to rest in the things that you have and to know that if you ever have a need in the future that God will meet that need as well, that whole contentment thing, that's way overrated, don't you think? I mean, that doesn't sound at all like to me like a part of the impoverished life. That's the other kind of life, and we, we're, this is a message about how to live the, how to live the impoverished life. So, avoid contentment. My time is nearly up. A few final tips for you on how to live the impoverished life. Here's one. It's very important that you intentionally don't do anything. Do not do anything. Particularly after a message on being generous to God or something like that. Intentionally don't do anything. If there's any inclination to doing something different than you've been doing, snuff it out. All right, go watch a movie or something and then you'll forget about it. Go quickly. Rush out of the auditorium as fast as possible. 
That's what I'm suggesting. I also would encourage you to surround yourself with people who also don't do anything. This has a way of helping you also not do anything. And look at the things that they have, their possessions, and admire them uh, because they bought those things with money they should have given to God. I'd also suggest that you avoid people that have been on mission trips recently because they tend to come back with a very critical perspective on American materialism and they might rub off on you. So give them a several months until they kind of reacclimate to the way that we think here in America and then it's safe to be with them again. Finally, the last piece of advice that I would have for you to live the impoverished life is to, is to very intentionally not think about eternity. Okay? Don't think about it. Rather, live for today. Okay? Live for today. Rush out of here today thinking about what you can get out of today. Do not think about tomorrow. Do not plan for tomorrow. Get as much as you can out of today. This is especially hard to do at funerals, I find. So do not attend funerals. Even if you know the person well, do not go there. Because if you go you might begin thinking about where that person is and the fact that you're going to be there soon someday as well. And this might make you think about eternity and words like Jesus said about laying up treasure there where moth and rust do not decay and thieves uh, cannot break in and steal. And it might engender some desire to actually invest for eternity. And if you did that, then you would have joy in that life and in this life. And this is trying, we're trying to avoid that here. So, I'm confident that if you follow my advice today that you will live not only an impoverished life in this life, but also a poor life in the next. And you might be the person that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 3. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And that will be the worst impoverishment of them all, will be the eternal poverty and uh, regret. So, a little bit of an unusual message today, but one that I hope that you take to heart as we consider how to live the impoverished life. A sobering reality check about the eternal implications of our earthly investments. Are we building something that will survive the flames, or will it all be burned away? You're listening to Pastor Steve DeWitt here on The Journey in a message titled, How to Be Poor, Living an Impoverished Life. If you missed part one of this lesson, you can hear it by going online to thejourney.fm or by searching your favorite podcast app for The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. Well, Steve, listeners have come to look forward to hearing your Bible teaching on the journey, and it all looks so easy when all you have to do is turn the dial or click a download button. But there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. Yes, there is, Tim, and you and I would know perhaps better than anyone just how much work goes into a program like this. It takes a lot of time and effort, talented people to put a radio program together like The Journey. And yes, I preach these sermons, and most of the sermons come from the weekend services at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana, 
But then we need editors and producers and engineers. We need people that distribute the program, and we need stations to broadcast the program. Someone has to oversee all of this, and we have folks to answer the phones. And at the end of the day, it really starts to add up. Now, before I go on any further, let me make it clear. No one is walking away with a profit from what we do here. Every donation we receive goes directly toward covering the cost of this ministry and all the resources we provide with it. But before we can do that, we need listeners like you to step forward and do your part as well. So make sure we hear from you today and thank you in advance for your generous year-end donation this December. Thanks, Steve. And when you contact us today with a special year-end gift, we'll say thanks by sending you Randy Elkhorn's classic book on generosity, The Treasure Principle. Discover how to unlock the secret of joyful giving when you request your copy today. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763 or visit thejourney.fm. I'm Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve describes how to be poor, but how to be blessed. That's Tuesday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.